Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast. Our topic today, Armageddon imminent, the second coming of Jesus Christ, part two. Welcome back. Our study today will start again in the book of Haggai, chapter two, verses six through seven. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. It's always exciting to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There, There is no other event that Christians look forward to more. That is, if they have any understanding of the Word of God, if they have any understanding of the Bible. The second coming of Jesus Jesus Christ is when everything is made right. We, we return with the Lord. Now, if you believe the Bible, the church will have been taken away, called up into the air in what we often call the rapture, taken into heaven. Uh, several events will take place there. And then when the Lord returns to set his feet on the Mount of Olives, um, we will return with him at his second coming. And there's no doubt this, this verse in Haggai is prophesying of a future day, and he's revealing details that coincide with the fall of Babylon. That takes us all the way into the book of Revelation. And um, the, fall, the fall of Babylon, it, it's, it's so closely related to the, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now they, they happen in a, in a, in some sort of succession, but, but they're very closely timed and, and several events take place surrounding those two major events. And, uh, so I, I don't want to give you the idea. It's, it's that cut and clear and that simple, but, but that is generally what's going to happen. And Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and set up his kingdom. And it's, it's going to be a blessing. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting if you're on the right side of these things. Because the Lord tells us, uh, you know, this is not a battle that's going to be fought to see who will win. <laughs> we already know who's going to win. So hopefully you've decided now to be on the winning side and you've decided now that you want to partake of these things and that you want to be on the Lord's side. You don't want to wait until that day to, to decide, you know, maybe, maybe, I should, maybe I should pick a side. <laughs> You know, you don't want to wait to pick a side. You just want to trust Jesus and be on his side. Now, now all this happens as well in conjunction with an earthquake, a, a massive, mighty, powerful earthquake that's going to shake the heavens, the earth, the, the sea, the land, all nations, everything is going to be affected by this, by this uh, earthquake. And uh, it's going to be, you know, something to... Uh, it'll be something to see and feel apparently as the way the, the way the Bible describes it. And it's mentioned in several places all throughout your Bible that this future reference to this powerful, mighty, unbelievable, unbelievably strong earthquake. I don't even know that they have numbers on the Richter scale to, uh, to, to help, you know, explain it, but it's coming. And, and it happens right around the time when Babylon is brought before God's remembrance. And, as Christians, we want God to remember us. 
you know, our sins have been forgiven. Our souls have been saved. And we, we want God to, as, as, as oft as he would, <laughs> remember us, and keep us in his thoughts, at the forefront of his thoughts, and not forget about us and keep his focus on us. That's, that's our desire. But when you're against God and you come up to his remembrance, that's not a good thing. And Babylon finds that out, unfortunately, the hard way. Now, you know, we can read about a good, a good portion of this in Revelation 6, Revelation 15, Revelation 16. And we're going to look at a few of those passages. But um, a lot of this information, the events surrounding it, it's line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, scattered throughout the Bible. Uh, you got to read. You got to read about it in Isaiah, in in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, uh, Daniel, uh, Revelation. It's it's Matthew Matthew chapter twenty four. I mean, the information is there. You have to run the cross references and study these things out. Now we're going to look at verses that pertain to our topic, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, this earthquake, and all of that taking place around the time of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon and, and all, all that, you know, some of what is forming up to that point. We're not going to look at all of it in detail as it's a large topic and uh, Lord willing, maybe in a future event uh, with, with more direct purpose when, when maybe this specific battle is uh, of more specific interest. Um, maybe we can look at those things in more detail. Uh, but for now, we want to look at it in the context of, in the context of what's being taught in Haggai chapter two, verses six through nine. And so we're going to look now at Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So this is not just an earthquake, you know, an an earthquake, the more the, the the higher you know the higher the magnitude of the mirth, of the earthquake, the the longer it stays in news because it's destructive, it's damaging, it's harmful, it takes lives, it's it's a terrible thing. This earthquake is gonna it's gonna be like nothing man has ever seen. That's how you know when you're reading through the Bible and you read of an earthquake. If it describes an earthquake that that is so massive and so powerful that it's unlike any other earthquake. It's a reference to this earthquake. It's a reference to Haggai chapter two. It's revelation 16. It's all throughout your Bible and God's going to shake things up. Now it says so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, further detail regarding this earthquake is given in Revelation 11, and, and it will take place at a time when the gleanings are, are happening. Now, in the Bible, the rapture, what we call the rapture, when Jesus Christ comes to take his church away, uh, we call that the rapture. It, it's, it happens in three parts. 
Now, it's interesting. The rapture has three parts, three resurrections, and three raptures. Okay? So, uh, all three all three are part of what is called overall the rapture, or what we call the rapture, the, the, you know, the taking away of, of the church. And so... The Bible actually defines it as the first resurrection. It's it's the name that the the Bible gives it, and this resurrection incorporates people. People don't just resurrect from the dead in the Bible unless there's a, there's a rapture that follows. Now that's that's barring that's separating the miracles that Jesus did while he was on earth, and even that some of the apostles might have done. You know, the Lord rose, you know, called people back from the dead, caused them to rise from the dead, but they were not raptured at that point in time. But when, as pertaining to the resurrection, what is called in the Bible the first resurrection, um, there's always an, accompany, an accompanying uh, rapture that takes place. The, the first one is called the first part of the rapture is, is called the first fruits. Now, you're, the, the rapture in the Bible is, is defined or, or is pictured as a harvest, and a harvest has three parts. That's where we get our three parts to this, this rapture from. Uh, the first part is the first fruits, which include Jesus Christ himself as well as Old Testament saints. Now, when the Lord rose from the dead, Old Testament saints rose from the dead with him. And when, when he ascended into heaven, he took Old Testament saints with him and, and he took, the Bible says he took captivity captive. He took paradise up into the third heaven with him. It's no longer in the heart of the earth. It's now in the third heaven, but it's still paradise. It's still a, a separated, separated place of waiting and, until the Lord does his final reconciliation with the earth. Now, the second part of the harvest is the main harvest, what, what is called the harvest. Um, this is when the church, the body of Christ, will be called away. Um, the, 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 the church will not go through the tribulation. They won't go through any part of it. If you, if you believe the, the pretty well and, and pretty clearly defined, laid out uh, doctrine in the Bible regarding the rapture, the church won't be there. The church will be called up into the air. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and then we'll be taken back to heaven. And at, and sometime after that, that's that's when the the seals are broken and and uh, the tribulation begins on the earth. Now that that's clearly laid out in the book of Revelation. It's laid out all over the Bible, but it's really laid out well in the book of Revelation. Chapters one, two, and three is all about the churches, letters to the churches on earth. You know, not in heaven. Not in the not in the tribulation. They are on earth, and the Lord sends them. Uh, uh, he sends letters to these seven churches, and by the time you get to chapter four, John is called up into heaven, and when he gets called up into heaven, um, that that is your indication. That's a clear indication that the church is going to be taken out. Will be in heaven, and then are then in chapters four and five, the Bible describes these elders seated around the throne, giving homage and worship and praise to the lamb who was worthy. And they're there doing it continually. And so you, you read about these elders and these elders are, are obviously and clearly representative of the church, the body of Christ. And so as, the, as all that takes place, that's where we are. That's where the church is. By the time we get to chapter six, <laughs> wrath is being poured out on earth. And 
it's it's not a it's not a pretty sight. It's not something you want to partake in. It's not something you want to be part of. You don't want to be subject to God's wrath. You have an opportunity to escape God's wrath. Take it. Trust in Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Look, here's the problem. You're a sinner. Here's the solution. Christ died to pay for your sins. He was buried and then he rose again the third day. So now if you'll trust in that, you'll put your faith in that. God has God promised in the Bible. Your sins will be forgiven. Your soul will be saved. You'll be taken to be with Christ when, when he comes back to get his church. And um, that's also well laid out in the word of God. Now, the third part of the harvest of the rapture is the gleanings. And this is, this is a, re- uh, a resurrection and a, a rapture of the tribulation saints. Uh, this earthquake appears to take place in conjunction with this resurrection. So it, you read about those, those two witnesses in Revelation 16 who die, and, um, and they're left there on the earth. Well, eventually the Lord calls them away, and then all this, this breaks loose. Look at Revelation 11, verses 12 through 13. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld, beheld them. And the, and the same hour was, was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. So that's, that's actually your two witnesses being called away there in Re- Revelation chapter 11, not chapter 16. But there's that great earthquake again. This is not just a, you know, a random earthquake separate from the others. It's a great earthquake that causes a 10th part of the city to fall and 7,000 men die. When was the last time you heard of an earthquake killing 7,000 people? Now, earthquakes have killed a lot of people. Uh, we, we have, we've had some that in, in recent years that were, were so powerful that they caused and, and uh, uh, the, the outworking of the earthquake was a tsunami that killed hundreds, if not thousands more. But it's rare that an earthquake is so powerful that it kills 7,000 people and, and it caused the remnant, the remnant of Israel to give glory to God. Now, immediately after this event, the, the Lord takes his great power and this for some reason can come across controversial. It really shouldn't, but Jesus Christ has been, all power has been delivered to him in heaven and earth, but he has not taken that power unto himself. And a a date and a time is coming in the future, according to the book of revelation, when he will take that power unto himself, he will take up the power that has been delivered him. And he's going to, he's going to break this world and he's going to break, you know, everything free from Lucifer, Lucifer's hands. Now it was previously designated him, but the the kingdoms of this world don't become the kingdoms of our, of Christ until later. He doesn't physically claim them. And, and, but that time is drawing nigh it's coming when he's going to do that, when that that's going to happen. People like to say, God is in control. Well, (laughs) not right now, not at the moment. You know, it's, it, they mean well when they say that, but that has a lot of serious implications that come along with it. When you, when you tell people God is in control, then you inadvertently 
make God responsible for the evil things that happen in this world. And so God can be in control of your life if you'll, if you'll let him, if you'll give him that, that place, if you'll obey him, if you'll be subject to his word. But when a man goes out and, and violates a woman, God's not in control of that. God had nothing to do with that. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you got to say God foreordained that and God predestinated that and God made that man do that. <laughs> and what Baptists tend to do is they say, well, God's in control. So they don't say that God foreordained it, but they essentially say God had control over it, which he did not. God gave that man free will. He told that man, don't lie, don't sin, don't kill, don't touch a woman that doesn't belong to you, that you're not married to, that that you don't have uh, uh, a godly right to have that type of relationship with you stay away from her. And when a man goes out and violates all that, you can't say God was in control of that. God had nothing to do. It's a complete violation of everything God said to do. And so you just got to be careful with those things. Well, this, this is relevant to the idea that at some point God will have the, the type of control that we ascribe to him. But right now he does not right now. He is, he is, uh, 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 he, he has seated in heaven. Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on his right hand and the Holy spirit is here on earth indwelling believers. And our responsibility, our job is to go out and preach the gospel to every creature and do all that we can to try and, 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 and get the, uh, you know, the, the gospel to everyone that we possibly are, are able to get, get it to. And that's what God is in control of. That's what God is working on right now. He's not, He's not a superhero that's going to, you know, jump out of the bushes every time someone's being harmed. I wish he was, but the, the, this is the problem with this idea. We want him to come back and we want him to stop the evil that we see as evil. As long as it's not evil that we are participating in like lying or like not going to church or like not preaching the gospel or like not doing things that God said to do. Now, as long as God is taking out the rapist and the child molester and the murderer, then I'm okay with it. But if God wants to deal with my pride, or if he wants to deal with my, my laziness, or he wants to deal with my, my lack of excitement about him and his word, well, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> and so God is, not, God is not arbitrary in that way. He's not going to intervene in certain areas and not intervene in others. If God's going to come back and deal with things, it's going to be ugly and he's going to, he's going to follow through. And that's, that's what we have laid out for us in the book of revelation. So for now we are to be subject to his word. We have the Holy spirit. We have Bible believing fellowship with Bible believing Christians. We have great hymns of the faith. We have all that we need to live the Christian life here and now, but we do it in this present evil world. And as long as this present world is evil, clearly God is not in control of it. So we want to be careful not to give him credit <laughs> where it's not due <laughs> and to give him credit where it is due. And when, when you live subject to his word and you receive blessing because of that, praise God, you know, and when you live subject to his word and something terrible happens, well, we sorrow not even as them who have no hope. We have a future hope to look forward to, but the reason it's a future hope is because it's not now we have to deal with this present evil world now, but a day is coming. It's coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will come back and make things right. Now the Lord, when, when, 
when Satan offered the Lord the kingdoms of this world, when he was tempting him in, in Matthew and in Luke, um, the Lord didn't correct him. Satan said, all the, all the kingdoms of this world are, are his, and he'll give it to, to the Lord if he'll bow down to him. The Lord didn't say, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not right. <laughs> no, the Lord rebuked him and told him to get away from him. So Revelation 11 marks the rapture of the tribulation saints, as well as the Lord taking full possession of the power and kingdoms of this world. Man, what a day that will be. That's going to be a wonderful day. Now, that's significant because as he takes that power, as, as the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of, of God and his Christ, well, now the Lord is going to come back and clean up his kingdoms. Now he's going to come back and set things right. And when he, when he leaves that third heaven and comes down to earth, an earthquake takes place like, <laughs> like you can't imagine. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful sight to behold, especially as we get to make that trip with the Lord. Now, these events will cause pagans of every land to run for the caves. As these things start happening and, and the pagans all around this world begin to realize we've made a terrible mistake. Um, we've got to get rid of these idols because that Jesus that all these crazy Christians were always preaching about, he's coming. And I don't want them to find me with these idols. I don't want them to find me with this contraband. I got to get rid of it. And so they flee to the caves and, um, but the Lord, the Lord extends them mercy. Look at Isaiah chapter two, verses 12 through 22 for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up. He shall be brought low and upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and upon all the oaks of Bashan and upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up and upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall, and, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day, and the idols, and, and the idols he shall utterly abolish, and they shall go into the holes of the rocks, and into the caves of the earth, for fear of the Lord... And for the glory of the of his majesty, and when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles of the and to the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the tops of the ragged rocks, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty, when he ariseth. To shake terribly the earth, cease ye from man, whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he able to be accounted of. So, as mentioned in Haggai 2, 6, the nations will also be dealt with at this time when, when the Lord returns to claim both that which is rightfully his as well as that which he purchased. He intends to take full possession of all, whosoever has... Uh, set themselves against the Lord will be made a bloody example in that day. You don't want to be against God. In fact, if you could get over yourself and you could bring yourself to trust him, 
you would find in him everything you've been searching for your entire life. You would not regret trusting the Lord. You would regret not having done it sooner. Now, you don't, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to take my word for it. It's completely up to you. But when he comes back, it's a terrifying event for everyone and anyone who has set themselves against God. These people made their own idols. It's no different than today. To, today, you know, <laughs> just because it's not a, a, an idol made of gold and silver doesn't mean it's not an idol. It's an idol on television. It's an idol in the form of a football team, a basketball team. It's an idol in the form of a job, a career, a woman, a man, um, you know, an ideology. You can replace God with lots of, with all sorts of things. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you've done. And you're going to be held accountable by the Lord. He's going to come back and deal with these things. You'll either die before his return and you'll lift up your eyes in hell being in torment, or you'll be alive when he returns, wishing you had trusted in him before he came back. As when he returns, he's going to shake the earth terribly. It's going to be a terrifying event. It's, it's not like anything you can fathom or understand. It's going to be horrendous. And so now is the time to do something about that. And I hope you will. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That's the whole chapter. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet, ha yet, ha yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You want to trust in him now. You don't want to wait for this day of reconciliation, this day of reckoning. When the Lord comes back, it's a violent and bloody and, and terrible event. And if you are against God, you are the subject. You are the object of that wrath and that terror. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can repent. You can trust in Jesus Christ. Blessed are they that trust in him. So you could be counted among the blessed and you can escape this future wrath and condemnation that's coming. Or you can receive the full blunt of, of what the Lord's going to do when he returns. I, I am urging you, <laughs> take the way of escape. Not only is it good not to be subject to God's wrath, but it's good to be subject to God's grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness and his long suffering. These are all wonderful aspects of God that you want to have in your life. And so the decision is completely yours. 
but the decision has consequences that you really need to weigh out, that you do not need to be flippant about. You want to take them very serious. Now look at Psalm chapter 110, verses 5 through 7. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the, the places with the, with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now from this point forward, the government will be upon the Lord's shoulders. Um, that is, he, it will be established upon the solid rock who is Jesus Christ. That's what everybody wants. That That's, you know, Haggai 2, we're going to talk about it in, in, in the next episode or so. Um, Haggai 2 says, then the, the desire of all nations shall come. Every nation wants what they desire is someone who can rule and reign in such a way as to create peace and joy and prosperity and, and all the wonderful things that every nation desires to have. It, it can all be found in Jesus Christ. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. And it'll be a permanent fixture of daily life when he is ruling and reigning. It could be a permanent fixture of your life now if you would trust in him and live, live according to his word. It doesn't mean that every day is going to be perfect and wonderful and, and, and all that good stuff. That would be nice, but that's not the case at the moment. But you don't have to go through this life without hope and help and understanding and wisdom and all the wonderful things that come with it from a relationship with the God of heaven and earth, with the, with the creator. And, um, the sooner you reconcile these things in your own life, the, the better look at Isaiah nine verses six through seven for unto us, a child is born unto us. A son is given the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So this brings us to Armageddon, a terrible, terrible event that is coming. The Lord prepares his return unclean devils are sent out to seduce the kings of the earth. Haggai said all nations would be shaken along with the earth, the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. These devils perform miracles that incite these kings to maintain their battle stance against the Lord. And seductions of this sort are already in the world. It's, it's already being the world is already being made to be comfortable and familiar with it. You know, our, our, charismatic brethren, you know, Pentecostals and, and the, the church of God and, and all these, these groups that, um, believe we still live in the book of acts. They forgot that there are, there were epistles after the book of acts. Um, they, they like to play, they like to pretend that they, they've been given the signs, wonders, and miracles that were designated to apostles. And, and they played these games with those ideas. Um, of course, so far as we have been able to tell, none of it is real. It's, it's all fake. You know, 2020 and 2021 really proved that. Why, every faith healer should have been at every hospital healing everyone with COVID at least. 
not counting everyone with a heart condition and cancer and HIV and, and, you know, diabetes and every other, every other horrible disease that people have to deal with. How come they're not there healing everybody? Why aren't they out? Why aren't they out showing the world the great power God has given them? And the reason, you know, they have their excuses as to why they can't do that. And I'm sure they have their excuses as to why they laid low during this time period of COVID-19. They're probably hanging out on their yacht somewhere, you know, living it up. But whatever the case, these ideas, these sign gifts will be used uh, just before the Lord's return to seduce the kings of this earth. And all through your Bible, all through your Bible, every time... Every time something, uh, you know, these sign gifts are mentioned once we've left the apostolic age, that is that period where the apostles are establishing New Testament Christianity. And you get to later on in your Bible, the idea of the sign gifts switches to something evil. It's something that's going to be used to seduce believers, to trick believers, and apparently to trick the kings of the earth. And, uh, And, you know, seductions of this sort, were proved to be more than the kings of the earth can handle. They've proven to be more already than many professing Christians can handle. And so far as they are actually professing Christians, you know, people who should know better fall for this stuff now. And it's fake. What do you think they're going to do when it's real? They're going to be falling all over themselves. And, and again, giving God the credit for something that he, <laughs> he warned you against. <laughs> and so, uh, but we, even outside of that, you know, in, in reference to the Kings of the earth, you know, the Kings of the earth, we, we already understand this idea that they are searching for, for some special power that will allow them to rule and to reign and to, and to, and to advance their own personal kingdoms on earth. They're not satisfied with what they have. They want to keep going. And if, if they could keep going and, and not have any consequences, that is, if they could find Merlin or a sage or a sorcerer or someone or something like Balak, if we could get Balaam to curse the people that we are standing against um, and not have any consequences for it, they would advance their territory. The only thing that keeps men in check is other men have big bombs and big guns as well. <laughs> and so it means in order to advance their kingdom, people got to die and it seems many of the countries in the world today are not as willing to do that as they once were. Now, some are, but most are not. So, so Hollywood has been showing us for a long time that the Kings of the earth, you know, they want to pull a sword out of a stone. They want to, you know, bring a genie out of a bottle. They, they, they want to do all sorts of things to gain some supernatural power that will give them an edge over their enemies and allow them to advance their own personal kingdom. And a day is coming when these, these men will be seduced by these things. And, and so that's what that's all about there. Now look at Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he which watcheth and keepeth, keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he, and, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. That's Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. Now, these kings marched their armies across the dried Euphrates um, riverbed, seeking to once again, and hopefully for the last time in their, in their uh, eyes and their desires, to destroy Jerusalem. But they only make it as far as the Valley of Megiddo, and they begin their assault on Jerusalem and go as far as to take half the city. And that's laid out very well in Zechariah uh, 14. But look quickly at Ezekiel 38, verses 14 through 20. So these armies are, are, are marching into, they're, they're coming, they're advancing on Jerusalem. They're going to attack Jerusalem, and they're going to take half the city before the Lord comes back. And he, and he deals with the entire situation. So Ezekiel 38, verses 14 through 20. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, of all them riding upon horses, a great company and a, <clears throat> and a mighty army. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel, as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in their latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in, in, in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that are, that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. Now that event obviously has not happened yet. Some teach that it has. That is ridiculous. It's it, shallow Bible teaching is something I hope to escape from myself. I, I don't want to be shallow in my understanding and ability to teach the Bible, Lord willing, Lord helping me. And so when men teach that this already took place, when did the earth shake to that point? When did that happen? When, when, did the, when were the mountains thrown down and the steep places, when did they fall? It hasn't happened. When did the earth shake to that extent and, and the creeping things shake to that extent and the beasts of the field? It just, it hasn't happened. And, and you know, they, they try and say Gog and Magog and, you know, is, is Russia and China and, and Germany and, you know, all these different countries. And, and so everybody, everybody's looking at world events and trying to figure out who Gog and Magog are. Now, 
I come from the Bible Baptist Church in Deland, Florida. This is what my pastor taught me. Gog is Gog. Magog is Magog. That's who they are. You don't have to try to figure out who they are. God told you who they are. It's Gog and Magog. So when you spend all your time telling people this is Russia and this is Germany and this is, you don't know that Russia and Germany are even going to exist at that time. Have you seen how rapidly the map changes? Just since I was a teenager, the map, the map does not look the way it did when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old, 14 years old. It's a very different world. And you can expect that's probably going to continue. And Gog will be Gog and Magog will be Magog. And this is a future battle that coincides with Armageddon. This is not a separate battle. This is not a battle that's already taken place. Um, it, it's, it, it's a silly notion. It's incoherent. It, it, it has no, there's no coherence to this. When you read the passage and you try to relate it to any previous battle that's taken place, and, and usually it's with regards to the modern day nation of Israel, which is not a fulfillment of prophecy. There's no prophetic event that says that Israel, that, that the Gentiles of this world are going to make Israel a nation again. That, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for when God sends them back home. And when God does something, not, not when England establishes a, you know, along with the, the United Nations establishes a, a, a safe space in the Middle East for people who, who claim to be descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or at least who claim to be Jews, can live. That's not the same thing. You can't conflate the two. <clears throat> and, and the same people who teach that, they, they will teach they, they will go through the book of Daniel and, the, and they'll read about, you know, the, the head of gold and the chest of silver. And, and, and they go through all these Gentile powers and they know that those Gentile powers will not be broken until that stone crashes into it. And they know that stone is the future coming of Jesus Christ. So at what point did Israel, at what point was Israel given their nation back? They, they're not, they haven't been right now. Right now we live under the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles must be fulfilled and that will come to an end. Just as these men often teach when the Lord himself comes back and establishes his kingdom until then the Jews will remain without a king and, and there'll be no king in Israel. It, it, there's just they're going to, they're going to abide many days without a king. Until the Lord comes back to deal with their situation, that's the way it's going to remain. Gentiles are in control until Jesus Christ comes back and breaks that control. And so the, the modern-day nation of Israel who reside in the Middle East, that's nothing more than, than a group of people who live there by permission of the Gentiles. That's why every time they do something, they got to go running back to the United Nations and be spanked and, and told not to do it again or, or, or given limitations of what they can and can't do because they're subject to the Gentiles until Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom. So all that from Gog and Magog. This is the, the coming battle of Armageddon. And the Lord prophesied against Gog and against Magog that that is that's who he's going to deal with 
Now, Revelation 17 gives us an idea, at least, of a portion of the armies that will be in confederacy, you know, against Israel. Now, there's two armies that are coming. You have this army from the north, and you have that army who came from the east. The army from the east crossed the Euphrates River, and now you have this, this, this army, Gog and Magog, who will come from the north down into to Jerusalem to battle with them. And Revelation 17 gives us an idea. Uh, it tells us that, <clears throat> you know, at least one of these two armies or both in combination, whatever the case may be, if you want to try and identify who they are, it says in Revelation 17 that there are going to be 10 kings. There'll, there'll be 10 armies, 10, <clears throat> 10 uh, kings that lead their armies against Israel. Now, if you, if you think of that in conjunction with Psalm 83 verses one through eight, you find out something very interesting. Now, this is not a, this is not a definitive connection, but it's something to really think about. And, and I believe it is, I believe it is very relevant. Psalm 83 verses one through eight, a song, a song or Psalm of Asaph. Keep not thou silence. O God, hold not thy peace and be not still. O God, for lo, thine enemies make a tumult and, and they hate thee and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have not. And, and so if you think about this in, in context, when was Israel hidden? This is going to, to when that remnant is taken and they're hidden by the Lord himself. Um, back to our passage. They have said, come. Let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance for they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee, the tabernacles of Edom, the Ishmaelites of Moab, the Hagarines, Jabil, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asser has also joined with them. And they have hope in the, with the children of Lot. That's 10 nations that are confederate together to go against God's people at a time when they are hidden. <clears throat> and so I believe this is a direct reference to that battle and the 10 kings who will be confederate. I, I think that gives us an idea of who they are. Now, something else to consider. If you go back and you look at every one of those nations that are listed there. Every single one of them today, at least today is Islamic. All of them. Now, again, we, my pastor taught me, you cannot use current events to try and decipher or understand the book of revelation. The world's going to change so much from the, from now until the Lord finally comes back. So to use current events to try and decipher or understand or, or, or gain an understanding of the book of revelation. It's foolish. It's, it, it doesn't work. What are all these people going to do? If, if the nation of Israel that exists today is broken up and removed from the land again, <laughs> I mean, it'd just be interesting. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that that's, that's not the nation of Israel that God established. And that's quite clear because it's overwhelmingly secular. It's not even, um, a, a good portion of them could care less about God. Now there, there, there are the more orthodox, uh, 
Old Testament believing Jews that are there. They they are definitely there, um, but it's not quite it's not quite what we would expect it to be. So in this list, there are 10 kings confederate together against Israel at a time when they are hidden. And then also notice that these, these countries at this time are all Islamic. They are not Roman Catholic. It's just an interesting note and something to think about in, in terms of religious Babylon. The world may not remain this way, but if we were to include this confederacy of kings as well as uh, as well and note their current religious and political stature, they are Islamic. Furthermore, no religion names Christian Christianity's doctrines and then directly denies them. Other religions claim Christian doctrine and then use them in some perverted form, but Islam deny, denies them directly by name. Islam is the only religion that does that. Um, Islam will, it will say, it, the opening pages of the Quran say, God has no son. Allah does not beget. So the opening pages of the Quran immediately attack the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Quran says, Jesus specifically says, Jesus did not die on the cross. What other religion says that other than atheist? <laughs> Atheists have different motivations for it. Uh, they just don't, they just don't believe they claim not to believe anything outside the natural realm. They're very materialistic in their, in their beliefs, um, in their thinking, thinking, which is not materialistic. <laughs> uh, it's just, just interesting consciousness. You know, atheists now they, they all want to study consciousness. Why? Prove to me it exists. Prove to me it doesn't exist. You know, it's, 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 it's a silly notion. Well, we can't believe in God because we've never seen him. You've never seen my conscience. You've never seen my thoughts. I've never seen them. <laughs> but they exist, and you know they exist. And so, anyways, that's off topic. Islam, Islam takes everything that Christianity, uh, every doctrine Christianity holds holy and they deny it by name it's just an interesting idea just an interesting thought uh, what what role islam will play in the end times i don't know the bible never mentions them but it is curious that every one of those countries is islamic and if you study islamic prophecy um, you find a lot of interesting correlations between the antichrist and allah and between the great Mahdi, who they they are uh, waiting to to come back, that's that's their future hope. Is the great Mahdi will return and establish a, a universal caliphate, um, a worldwide caliphate. Well, the great Mahdi has a lot of ha, has many uh, similarities to the Antichrist. So, Allah, as a matter of fact, of the nine, of the nine, of the ninety nine great names of Allah, He's known as the Great Deceiver. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's, there, there are a lot of interesting correlations there. Again, I can't say definitively, just like you can't say definitively that it, it's going to be that, you know, religious Babylon is going to be Roman Catholic. It makes no sense that you can't say that not definitively. Are, are there some ideas there that fit? Sure. Absolutely. Um, but Roman Catholicism is a weak and impotent religion today. They spend most of their time fighting legal, legal battles and paying off the children they molest. Um, 
they're, they're not really the dominant power they used to be. Now, to, to close this out, Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5, the Lord finally gathers these nations together for battle. And, and it's one heck of a battle. If you look at uh, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of the half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord, my God, shall come and all the saints with thee. And that Lord, my God, is the desire of all nations He's the strong king that everyone is looking for, and he will establish perpetual safety, security, and meet the needs of his people. Jesus Christ is that king. When he returns, there will be a bloody battle, and he will be victorious. And his people, his people, everyone that belongs to Jesus Christ from the nation of Israel who are his chosen people to the body of Christ who are his purchased people. They will all, they will all be with the Lord in the end. We will be victorious alongside the Lord. We get to come back with him when this happens. Now what we're going to do and what role we're going to play, (laughs) who knows? I'm just glad we get to be with the Lord. I'm glad righteousness, holiness will prevail I'm glad we're going to have a new body so that we can put all this behind us. I look forward to that day. Praise God. Thank you for listening. God bless. 